0: Well, because Eve's just discussing what happens when she takes her mini plaits out and she said her hair goes all crimpy. Yeah, Is the still on sale such a thing as a crimper? Did you have one?
1: No, I didn't have a crimper, but people just have straighteners these days, don't they?
0: They've gone in completely the opposite direction, yeah. haven't they? But there used to be a thing, didn't there? Which was like a kind of... I mean, it almost looked like a serrated straightener. So it It's had, like a toaster. Yeah, but it had the... The little V's in it to crimp your hair. And it basically just properly, properly fried you, It's like putting your hair in a Breville machine, isn't it's it? It's
1: actually like toasting a sandwich but using your hair instead. Yeah.
0: I wonder whether they're still out there for the retro look. Somewhere uh, in my mum's attic will be my old crimper.
1: This is your mum who you referenced on the show today because she has never gone for the Swedish duvet. No, No, I
0: can't remember. I think she calls it a Swedish quilt. She doesn't call it a duvet. No, okay.
1: Swedish quilt. I do remember very long conversations in our house in the 70s about whether as a household we were going to go to yeah. duv- towards duvets. And the
0: first people who adopted duvets, I mean, it was almost like the swingers had arrived in the neighbourhood. It was so risque, yeah. the idea that you'd just sleep under this kind of cotton wool-filled quilt and nothing
1: else, Jane. No, well, it was it was very daring yeah. and and risky. Yep. I think people feared that all kinds of germs might get... Well, actually, sometimes I do wonder. I'm not sure I've done as much washing of my duvets as perhaps I should. What are the rules about how often you should wash the duvet itself? I really don't know. No, I think I've just chosen not to investigate that particular area of my life. Don't email about this subject because I think I might be shamed to discover that, in fact, you should have them done three or four times a year or something. But you need to go to a special laundrette, don't you? Because you can't do them at home.
0: No, although uh, people say that you can do them at home if they're not high tog, if you put tennis balls in. Oh, my
1: God. I mean, you just take a week off work. Just to... No, I can't do that. That's where I was last week, Jane. Yeah, well, you said you were real. was a confection. <laughs> I was actually just sorting out my Swedish
0: quilts. Uh, anyway. Does anyone still have sheets and blankets? i quite like that yes, to Yes, if you are,
1: and if you've got uh, Brentford nylons that are still doing the business for you, with wonderful static as you just get in or out. But then our, our 90s were also made of nylon, so it was um, quite a frisson back in those days. Uh, you could be that proud outlier who's still living the retro life like me with my satellite television at home (laughs)
0: yeah Uh, we've got a couple of email specials coming up later on in the week because it's the covid inquiry here in the uk and boris johnson the former prime minister is going to be making his appearance at the inquiry it's quite important that we hear every word he's got to say for himself he was the man in charge Lots of decisions were taken under his watch that need to be scrutinized and examined, and they will be by Hugo Keith, Casey, Mm -hmm. who's leading the charge at the inquiry, uh, which does mean that on our program, we won't have big guests on wednesday and thursday which means that there won't be a big guest on the podcast so emails are go-go so i think we're probably just going to be slightly slight on the emails today and tomorrow ahead of that
1: yeah although i would like to appeal to people to tell us what they think of the covid inquiry because i know uh, it's supposed to be about no, I'm fine thank you are you all right yes it's the covid inquiry is meant to be about how we deal better should we be faced with a pandemic in the future but
0: it's turned into a political drubbing isn't it
1: and i we had both of us i think would acknowledge we had rather fortunate covid pandemics didn't we we didn't lose anybody close to us it was miserable of course it was but we were very lucky but there would be people listening who uh, unfortunately did have desperately difficult situations.
0: Quite a few relatives are in the public gallery watching every single word Mm. for that reason. So
1: tell us, is it delivering for you? And if you're living outside the UK, some countries have long since cleaned up, cleared up their COVID inquiries. Did you find this sort of thing helpful? Um, And I know, I thought it was interesting the other day when Michael Gove raised the whole issue of of COVID being man-made and was just completely... No, we're not here to discuss that, Mr Gove. And uh, I would, frankly, I would quite like to know where COVID came from because it's still with us in in varying forms and we are hugely living with the impact of it. So, yeah, I am sorry, but I, I would quite like to know how it started and why. Anyway, that wasn't, again, wasn't meant to be what the COVID inquiry was all about. Mm. Uh, So, yes, you're right. We haven't got, we just haven't got time in the next couple of days for too many emails, but we will have loads of time later in the week.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh,
1: But thank you very much because
0: uh, it's a wide range of topics as ever. Soporific compliment comes in from please keep doing it that's just the last sentence in the email it's not you know Uh, last week you read out an email from a listener whose earliest memory was of waking in the night to her parents arguing and you went on to make thoughtful points about how painful this may be Waking in the Night to the Sound of Conflict. And as someone who has a child experienced this far too often, I concur. And like your lovely other listener, it's taken a long time to deal with the lasting effects. But I also agree wholeheartedly with all of the listeners who frequently fall asleep to your podcast, given the above. I wanted to point out that this really is the highest compliment. To talk with each other in a way that makes us feel so very safe that we can actually let go and fall asleep really is a wonderful achievement. (laughs) And I'm going to hang on to that because it doesn't matter which way you look at that, it's always a little bit
1: weird. It, it's one you've got to <laughs> wrestle with slightly, but we we will take it and, and thank you very much. And um sleep tight. Yes, and do sleep well. Yeah, do Seriously, sleep well. Seriously. I was, I had a, an anxiety dream. Well, a couple actually last night. One, uh, I'd lost my passport. I mean, that happens all the time. I've forgotten my passport. And the other one, I was, young Eve was sorry, involved. Sorry,
0: no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hmm? That just makes me laugh, Jane, because I don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere. No, I know. <laughs> so the anxiety dream that you've lost your passport, you're anxious about something that's that's never really going to
1: happen. Well, twice a year I do, but okay. I always go away with other people. So, generally speaking, I, I hand my documents over to people, to other people, because so I'm I'm just got, too silly. Have you got a lackey? I've always te- always take my PA. Um, and in the other dream, I uh, Eve was shouting at me in the studio uh, to keep talking about Columbia. and I just wanted to say that I had too much hoovering to do, which I think is my subconscious saying, Jane, give up work and become a housewife. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, well, honestly, I think a lot of people, it would make a lot of people very happy. It would certainly cheer up my house. No, don't do that. Uh, Don't do that. Hello to Jenny, who says, I was very proud to hear you talking of the esteemed, our esteemed president of Ireland, who's incredibly popular and, as you said, an erudite yet approachable figure. A couple of years ago, my aunt gave me a tea cosy for Christmas and I don't have a teapot, but we have found an appropriate place for Michael T. Higgins. On top of our Christmas tree. I have attached a photo which I hope brings you some joy. And there is, he's a very short chap, but he's got lovely fluffy out, sticky out, fluffy white hair. And he just looks very friendly. And I know he's an academic of, of, of some standing um, in uh, in the Irish Republic and indeed elsewhere. But he makes an absolutely brilliant fairy mm. on top of the Christmas tree. Do
0: you put a fairy on top of your tree?
1: Oh, we have a star. Yeah, I have a yeah,
0: star. Yeah. A
1: great big furry star. Oh, no, ours isn't furry. It's um, it's spiky. Have you got your tree up already? No. no? Why? When do you go for tree? Oh, no,
0: no, I don't either. I'm waiting for the arrival of my uh, my pink feathery ombre plastic tree this oh, year. Oh, yes, that's right, yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, I suppose I will once again flirt with the idea of an artificial tree and then be dragged down to the garden centre and be made to get a fresh, whatever they call it. Yeah. I want to think, call it a fresh water tree, but it's not. A fresh pine tree. A fresh pine tree, fresh pine tree. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm expecting exactly
0: the same kind of yeah. disappointment and mm. vague rebellion yeah. in the household, uh, but I do, I'm just very much hoping that it stops the kittens weeing. That's all I've gone for, really. And uh, admittedly it doesn't need to be pink. Are they still at it? Yes. Okay. Just a house. I thought it was just Barbara. Or a wood pile. Uh well it's Barbara mostly, but I think Brian sometimes joins in. Oh. Uh I know. Uh, Now this comes in from Philippa, a bit late to the party, never mind that, but listening to the podcast in which you were talking about the oh so obviously empty coffee cups putting in an appearance in almost every TV show and film. It reminded me of something else that always grinds my gears. Sitting on the sofa knitting and watching Julie and Julia again and still fab, I spotted someone else doing it. Knitting but doing it like a five-year-old in the foothills of a crafting life. That's a lovely phrase. If actors are taught how to ride horses, chop onions, dance, sing, perform brain surgery, why is it not possible to show someone how to at least look as if they're an experienced knitter for the teeny-weeny amount of time they're knitting on screen? And no, not even Miss Marple is an exception to the looking-like-a-five-year-old trope. Philippa goes on to concede that the brain surgery (laughs) may not be all that realistic either. But it's a very good spot, and my other personal bugbear, which I realised last night whilst watching, I think it was Hidden Assets. It's on. Ooh, what's that? It's on the BBC. It's a, uh, it's an Irish uh, Criminal Assets Bureau investigation crime caper. It filled some oh, time. Oh, t- t- tell me again. It's an Irish Criminal Assets Bureau. So it's about the proceeds of crime. Yeah. It's, se- it's series two. Right. That, I'm, that I'm watching. Well, uh, it's quite goodness. complicated. Oh, there's I wouldn't quite a lot understand of, it. There's a lot of plots uh, uh, involving forensic accounting. Bloody Elfie!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the evenings must fly by. <laughs> I'm quite enjoying it. Have you ever heard of picking your feet? <laughs> that can take up hours. That's gorgeous as a hobby. No,
0: but I did think, cause, you know, inevitably lots of people, uh, you know, get kiboshed in the process. Uh, but, but whenever they have somebody lying in a hotel, a hotel, a hospital bed yes. you know, in some kind of trauma. Mm. Nobody's ever wearing a catheter. And that is the most normal thing. In hospital, for somebody to have a catheter fitted, they never have a catheter fitted. It's a really good good point. They always have that. They're always hooked up to that machine that goes
1: beep, 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 beep. But you never see the bag of wee. No, there's never a bag of wee.
0: I think put the bag of wee in just to be a bit more realistic. Is that also true of Holby City and all those other shows? Yeah, they never have a bag of wee. Grayson Attenborough. No, they always have a nice bag of clear liquid, a nice bag of blood, bit of saline. Yep, but they don't have the wee.
1: Well, perhaps people abroad in really gorgeous, glamorous hospital dramas, don't we? It's just not a thing. <laughs> Maybe. You're right, though. I've never seen a bag of wee in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a hill to die on and I'm not prepared to go there, But I just thought I'd mention it while we were there. While we were there. Yes, we've all had catheters fitted. Um, right, uh, let's talk health. And Tricia <laughs> says, after hearing Jane say she took a Barocca before coming to work, it reminded me of my husband a couple of years ago. He put one in his mouth because he thought it was just a vitamin C tablet. He made such a fuss cuz it all kind of <laughs> I was hysterical with laughter and I still bring it up says Tricia, Oh Tricia, let that one go. You are miserable. Um honestly your poor husband there put a popped a barocca in his mouth thinking it was just a little something he could just swallow and it all kind of went berserk in his on his tongue and just caused mayhem. You mm. can imagine it, can't you? Because as soon as you plunge it into water it just <laughs> yeah yeah. All that good stuff comes out of it. What it is, I don't know.
0: Well, quite a lot of it. I mean, just to go back to the catheter, if you'd had a Barocca just before having an unfortunate accident in hospital and they fitted the catheter right away, mm. then that wee would be orange, wouldn't it? Because you have a Barocca and yeah. six hours later, uh, your well, wee you, is you know about it.
1: It's not even six hours. Is it not? No, it's more like half an hour. Is it? Yeah. Okay, well, it goes through you quickly, is not it? <laughs> Uh, Shall we just have the little anecdote about Sting before we go to the main guest? Definitely. Can we just say that Sting has written some wonderful songs? Uh, And interestingly, uh, Tim Rice referenced one of them, "Fields of Gold," which I think is a lovely song. I love that song. Uh, And less successfully, there was his song about the Russians. Do you remember that? No. It was called. It was very simple. It was his take on what we all thought was the impending Armageddon that was coming our way in the nineteen. 80s and it was called the russians love their children too oh well that's a good sentiment well yeah it is yeah and thanks to sting we managed to stave off that particular war so well done i think yes sometimes when
0: pop does war in history i always think of the do you remember the video to elton john's nikita Oh, Nikita, you, <laughs> you will never, never know. know. Which was kind of Checkpoint Charlie, wasn't it? Yes. With a very beautiful woman. You weren't quite sure what side she was
1: coming from or going to. No. Strangely, it didn't feature one of those Russian babushka ladies that we're all familiar with, you used to sit in kiosks and sell you overpriced or very cheap fags. Um And the ones that used to. Do you ever, have you ever been to the museum in St. Petersburg? Which one? The Hermitage. Oh, no. no. Well, oh, actually, no, I think I have. I think you have. I think I've made a film there. Uh, yeah. because, yes, I have been <laughs> I've made a film there. Yes. Was it Dr. Shivago? No. Uh, it, uh, there was a lady selling tickets there. And do you remember they give you uh, apps, like a huge ticket that went on for about half a mile in length. It was just very peculiar. I mean, everyone had a job in Russia, but it wasn't always clear whether their jobs were actually very sensible yeah or indeed had any kind of commercial value or point
0: i think you would have made a very good kiosk woman i think well, no, i would yeah I because you'd stop and have would. a chat with people worth having a chat with and you'd be yeah.
1: so rude yeah. to people you didn't want to totally. have a chat with yeah absolutely yeah uh, anyway how we've got onto this is because <laughs> you were talking about elton john's video for nikita which is nothing at all to do with this anecdote about sting <laughs> okay oh dear uh hello And
0: Jane, Jane To be honest, my encounter was almost an ambush and it happened way back in 1980 when I was a trainee clinical psychologist. My favourite band were the police and I'd managed to buy tickets to go to a New Year concert they were playing in my hometown of Edinburgh. It was absolutely brilliant and I was overwhelmed by my Sting passion. I found out where the band was staying and persuaded my long-suffering, rather spary boyfriend to come with me to the hotel. You can only imagine the level of my overwhelm when I saw Sting besporting billowing silk shirt and leather trouser breathe deeply everybody exiting the lift in the front of the doors where i was quite tragically begging the doorman to let me in i went into overdrive and the guy just let me in to get rid of me i have mixed feelings about the encounter as i did completely demean myself i abandoned the boyfriend went straight up to sting and offered him a drink He asked for champagne and tequila, which which was pricey, and took the wind out of my student grant sails. He then asked me to dance. I was almost deranged by delight at this point, and the zenith of my life occurred. It peaked early. I chatted to him and would have done anything he had asked, to my shame. But imagine my disappointment when he said, maybe you'd better get back to your boyfriend. He's looking a bit worried. I trotted off, and that was that. I learnt that he was grappling with the breakup of his marriage and affair with Trudy at that time, and I resented Trudy deeply ever after. She seems like quite a nice woman. Often pondering on how much happier he'd have been with me wow. on the biodynamic Tuscan farm. Mm. I managed to drag my Brush With Fame story out on a regular basis and enjoyed recounting it hugely, even though it is to my and I think it could have only... Uh, Even though it is to my... I think the word missing is detriment. Yeah. And I think it could only have been taught by the man in the lift being Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Please don't disrespect me. I was mesmerised. Oh, I'm not disrespecting you because we've all been there. Yeah. So the thing that stood out to both Jane and I in that email was the fact that you offered to buy Sting a drink and he accepted and made you buy him a champagne and tequila. I mean, the cheeky...
1: The yeah, cheeky, cheeky Newcastle lad. He must have been making a few quid by then. And also, that drink sounds revolting. It does, doesn't it? I mean, one of those would have knocked you senseless, surely. A couple, and I'd have been absolutely dead to the world. Yeah. Um, Sting, what were you thinking? It's I mean, got you've...
0: top notes of naff and bottom notes of bombast. <laughs> and I don't want anything to
1: do with it, Although, Jane. although I'd buy that perfume. <laughs>
0: Okay. in fact i think i might be wearing it uh but i do you know what i think everybody uh actually this might just be revealing about myself but doesn't everybody have somebody who they've looked at from a distance and they have genuinely thought uh you know if you'd only been with me (laughs)
1: life would have worked out so much better for you (laughs) and maybe sting he might listen
0: he might, that somebody close just, to
1: him might because we, well we've had encounters we've had emails from Chris Martin's family <laughs> we well, have yeah, that's so true so never I mean you know, the whole six degrees of separation thing yep there'll be someone listening who knows someone who knows someone who knows him yep you never know; he might have a regret. Too. Is he still, even now, preparing an <laughs> evening cocktail for him and his lady friend? Is it Trudy still? Yeah, I think it is still Trudy. Uh, so they've been the, together a long time. With the tantric possibilities lying tantalisingly ahead for later in the evening, he'll pep himself up with a champagne and tequila. <laughs> what kind of dance? What did you dance to? That's. I'd quite like to know. I'd like to know more. Yeah, just a few more details, but that's a lovely—it's a cracking anecdote, and it goes right to the top of our anecdote charts. It does. Uh, I also would quite like to know what
0: happened to the rather sparey boyfriend. What happened to him? Are you married with the kiddies? All right, shall we go into the big guest, Jane? Yes. Right, here we go. Uh, It's an interesting one today. Uh, It is with David Holmes, who was a stuntman on the film set of Harry Potter for about 10 years, standing in for Daniel Radcliffe whenever an action scene on a broomstick or diving in the depths of a loch was beyond the capability of Mr Radcliffe. And David had been doing the stuntman work for the best part of a decade. So he went to work one day on set. He was only 25 years old. He was doing a stunt that he had done many times before. It was one of those sudden pull-back-through-the-air ones where a pulley is attached to a harness worn by the stuntman and then it suddenly dropped and it gives that effect that we've seen so many times before. As viewers of somebody kind of, you know, being yeah. pushed back through the air, blown backwards. There's yes, nothing either you can do about it. Massive gust of wind or explosion or whatever. Uh, but this went so badly wrong for David because the pulley's weight was too much and he was pulled back against a padded wall so hard that he broke his neck instantly. And he's lived with that spinal injury. He's paralyzed from the chest down ever since. His condition is also slowly getting worse and he's losing the sensations and strength in his arms too. He's now just 40 years old but he doesn't regret his choice of career at all and he says that he was very happy to take the risks so that you and I on our comfortable sofas at home could be amazed and he tells his story in a new documentary on Sky it's called The Boy Who Lived and it's made with Daniel Radcliffe who is one of David's closest friends and in fact David's friends play an enormous part in his life. Several of them are his professional carers as well as his mates. And we started off the interview by asking David if he had been fearless even as a child.
2: That is true. Unfortunately, my poor mum, I put her through the ringer. I was first day at school climbing lampposts because I didn't want to go into school. And uh, yeah, thankfully, she found the right sport for some small boys to go to. Uh, which is not only the world's best childcare, but we was able to, like, build on what is a foundation of gymnastics. So, um, yeah, I was always able to push as a gymnast. And, yeah, you, you know, you get hurt trying things and it going wrong, but it was something I was able to always overcome. And, yeah, fear's something I lean into. I think you're only living when you're nearly dying. And, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of... Uh, near-death experiences but I'm still alive
0: still living. So tell us what then happened that little journey well not little journey um the big journey that you took to find yourself on the set of Harry Potter living as you say in the film your best life at quite a young age. Yeah I was so lucky
2: what a gift I was given um the opportunity to be exposed to the film industry you know It was uh, left a lasting impression of me at the age of 14. The fact that as a young stunt performer, you were treated like a fellow artist um, and an adult. And then you go through that, you know, stage door, the airlock into fantasy world. I spent a summer at 14 years old, you know, in rubber spacesuits and on the inside of a spaceship, riding robots, diving out the way of explosive pyrotechnics everything a young man could hope and want for. And uh, I just fell in love with the machine. And then it taught me at that age that um, I was going to progress my gymnastics career into the stunt industry. And uh, that was all I ever wanted to do. And I still see joining the stunt register as the biggest achievement of my life.
0: So it's so clear watching the film that your enthusiasm was absolutely true for the job that you were doing, but you were very young as well, and you had this terrible accident that's completely changed your life. Did you ever feel, or perhaps you've felt since then, that the adults in charge of that set, I don't know, maybe enthusiasm for granted a bit, didn't take care of you enough? I think you
2: could easily look at life that on that sceptical lens, um i will happily say that um as a studio and my peers in the stunt industry they're all invested in me and my career and my safety and the part of the stunt industry is pushing the boundaries of what stunt action is and we were just trying to build on a wise stunt that i'd done a million times over and uh Yeah, I mean, of course, my mum instantly was trying to find hate and blame and all that lot. But the fact is, I, you know, I did a risky job and I have to own up to that responsibility. And in stunt industry, you shouldn't be going to work unless you understand the full risks of the job. And then when I went into hospital, I met real victims, you know, people that were there from terrorist attacks or hate crimes that, and now living with, you know, a devastating, life-changing spinal cord injury. And it soon helped me own up to and take the responsibility of the job that I did. But, yeah, trying to find hate and blame and then, you know, wanting to drag it out through a legal system. I had the studio turn around and said, look, we've got an insurance policy. There's going to be a process. You're going to be all right. And all you've got to do is focus on your recovery right now. And that took all of that load off of me. So holding on to that hate and blame and like in life, you're either a victim or a survivor. I choose the latter on that front and on all aspects. And even with my deteriorating neurology, I still have friends that have less function than me with their spinal cord injury. Um, And I can scratch my face, you know, like I can brush my own teeth. I can still wash myself like to a degree. You know, and um, it makes me be very present, very thankful. And, yeah, it's a hard journey, but you know what? It's, there's got to see the silver lining.
0: Do you find it at all difficult to describe to people what actually happened that day? Uh, not really. I think it's um,
2: it's just, you know the dark chapter in what is the giant book of my life. And I think, you know, like leaning into it and focusing on it, I'm right now in the process of writing a book. Um, I've got a pending book deal coming with a publishing agent. And uh, it was hard to write that bit. But and, and even before I wrote it, I actually wrote myself a prompt to say, you know, like this next bit's going to be hard. Be kind to yourself. I only tackle it when you're ready, and then I, you know, I wrote that day, and then I've always been had the gift of being able to sort of, you know, use humor to overcome the horror, and uh, it's funny because we had to cut out the best joke of the year in the from the documentary. Uh, the director and the the uh, editor just didn't think it think it fit in the narrative, but we were at Leavesden Studios, but, and I was back looking at where the stunt department was and uh, I was with Daniel and we were looking at the stage door and uh, I was just seeing like my last footsteps that I took able-bodied, the last door I opened before going in to do that stunt rehearsal, which put me in this position nowadays. And, you know, it got a very real at that moment and my superpower was that i was able to go oh hang on a minute there are the toilets there that every morning and i'm gonna swear here and it's a bit inappropriate but i remember just saying on camera i was like i think i had my last <laughs> up there um, and it just yeah, i know right it's, it's dark but it just helped levitate what was really something emotionally quite difficult and uh that's the superpower I've been able to apply throughout my whole journey. Um, and I still do today. You know, living with a broken neck, just being alive, right? Google the odds of what it is to be alive right now. Every one of us as a human being has won the lottery 10 times over. You couldn't even write that number in your lifetime, like, because the amount of zeros in it. So to be alive with a broken neck, with, you know, to be alive in a country with a functioning healthcare system, to be alive in, like, the world in the 21st century where breaking your neck is a survivable thing, you've got to count your blessings. And, um, yeah, I, today the world's blessing is beautiful light and the trees are dropping their colour and, you know, just good to be present. And my journey teaches me that. Like, you know, yesterday my body was different to what it is today and time is not a healer. But that kind of, you can either sit there and dwell on that or you can use it to, to ground you and to, to be thankful for where you're at. And I'm thankful that right now I've got independent breathing, speech and swallow. I'm just about to have one of the best salads in the world from uh, my favourite sandwich shop. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
0: The train is now approaching. Dunction.
1: Road station.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. We're in conversation with David Holmes this afternoon, a stuntman on the Harry Potter films who suffered a catastrophic paralysing injury on set when he was in his 20s, one that left him paralysed from the chest down. Now, he decided not to pursue a legal case against the studio, but it has looked after him financially since the accident. And he also asked his friends and family never to yearn for a recovery for him, but rather to join him in being happy for what he could do in life. And I asked him if, looking back on that, He's amazed at that wisdom coming from his younger self. He was, after all, only in his 20s when so many opportunities simply disappeared.
2: Yeah, but seeing your pain in your loved one's eyes, like, that's harder. That's harder than seeing it yourself. You'll know that through your own journey in life. Like, just seeing them seeing you struggle, it you know, downloads on your own struggle. It just, you know, adds on top so to be able to and again I'm blessed with the mindset that I've got and that's because I had a foundation of the you know the hard lessons of gymnastics and the love of my family and the the men that all loved me and the people in the stunt community that loved me to being who I was as a stunt performer and the you know my fellow people you know Potter family that all contributed to my career and watched me grow and put up with me as a 17 year old with you know all the bravado that i had at that age that moment that accident it was it made a man of me and it made a man of all of the men in my life and my friends and it was a real pivotal moment where we all realized that oh you know like we are fallible we are mortal and we are you know like life can change in a moment so um make the make the important decisions, take the risks and uh, you only get one go at this, right? Not rehearsal. You can sit there and be miserable and it's hard. And I know mental health is something that now we are really trying to realize in, you know, that it's really important for all of us. Um, but I've just been really blessed that I've just, you know, I have to admit to myself, I'm quite strong and I'm really lucky to have that strength, but that comes from a foundation that of the people that invested in me. So it's important that we do that for the younger generation below us.
0: Yeah. I know that Daniel Radcliffe initially wanted to direct the film that's been made. And I have read a piece where he says that actually he couldn't do that because he was really rubbish at it. Is that true? Um, Well, uh, there you go.
2: I'm going to not swear on this one, but we're going to get the 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 whole story started when I wanted to turn the camera and the lens onto my friends in the stunt industry. So me and Daniel started the podcast series Cunning Stunts, and he gave me his time, and we sat and we filmed and we gave and done audio recordings of a podcast series. Um, the actual format that we shot it in um, was uh, very much a you know a communication like even the camera angles it wasn't for like documentary based. Um, Daniel always wanted to turn the camera to me, and I was always reluctant. Um, yeah. I always wanted to highlight, you know, the friends that I have in the film industry and the people that are taking the risks for storytelling. Um, because we don't get Oscars and we don't get Baftas, so it's important to me the amazing stories that I used to laugh at and hear, and the the myths of the stunt industry and the big gags that people talk about and performed um I wanted people to hear those stories so um but Dan was always like listen Dave your story is a big story and then we then re- Dan and myself realized that it was you know we were trying to take too big of a bite and we really need someone that had a director's hand and we brought on Dan Hartley who was someone that we grew up with in the Potter films. He was a video assist and was part of the Potter family from the very beginning. Dan Hartley had already made his own film, um, which wasn't a documentary, but was very successful. Um, and it was a very organic process. We've got Vanessa Davies, Amy Stairs. and Vanessa was the publicist on the Potter films, and i spent many hours up in a publicity department flirting with all the ladies up there and uh, amy was the base runner on harry potter and we all formed the unit under one production company and then we then took the the idea of some of we pre-shot some footage and self-funded some footage and then we were able to join with the amazing team at lightbox and then we were set and then we sold the we sold the the idea and the concept over to HBO and then they got behind it and said it was an important story that they wanted to be involved in. And now we come to where we are today, where it's out in the world. And if I look at my phone right now, there will be hundreds, thousands of messages from people that my story and this film has touched. Um, People that live with a spinal cord injury that see themselves in their own journey um, people that are going through stuff themselves and are just inspired by the strength and the love that it, we've shown that's in my life. And, you know, like that narrative of it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to survive a spinal cord injury. I have a very big village of love and support around me. And that's why we were able to make this film, why I was able to be as vulnerable as I am, as I was on camera, And the knock-on effect that it's had, it's just been just massively humbling. And uh, to be able to then direct that into raising money for the hospital or hopefully going on to more creative projects in the future. um, Yeah, I just consider myself a very unique journey, but a very lucky journey. And uh, yeah, we're only here once, so let's make the most of it.
0: David Holmes, and you can see that documentary. It's on Sky and it's also available on Now TV and it's called The Boy Who Lived. Um, And I think he makes so many good points in that, Jane, that it does take a village to survive a spinal cord injury. And the thing that I was really struck by watching the documentary, and I really would hard recommend it to people, as you would say, the friendship that surrounds him uh, is so obviously so genuine. Can mm. you imagine if that had happened to you at the age of twenty-five? Mm. Whoever you were, really good friends with at the time, would they have stuck around? Would they have become yeah. your professional carers? He has live-in carers.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yep. So he, you know, he needs to be helped with everything, mm. twenty-four hours a day. Uh, so it's a real testament to love and friendship, and and also just as he is so keen to point out, not regretting a choice that you. Made where you knew what the risks were. Of course, he didn't imagine that this would ever happen to you, but just getting on with the fact that it has.
1: And I, I know he didn't take legal action. That's probably very complicated, but he didn't. But So he doesn't have to work, I mean, rightly. No, the, so the
0: studios looked after they, him. Yeah, And they'll look after him
1: for the rest of his life. Yes, right. yep.
0: but he decided not to go for, I, I mean, what, what would it have been, some kind of a criminal prosecution? Mm. Uh, so he said that people around him who loved him, his mum in particular, did feel the need to be angry with somebody, but he said, no, I'm just going to get on with my life as it is. So he's really remarkable. I enjoyed chatting to him.
1: Well, I really hope that his, well, it sounds like his mates will stick around for him. And um, just a huge admiration for someone who, it's such positivity. Um, and he, he did, we we had to bleep out the word, didn't we? Yeah. But, you know, I he's lost a lot. You know, he's he lost. lost a lot. Enormous, I didn't think it was going to be that word, Jane, but yes. No, he's lost an enormous yeah. amount. I actually really admire him for saying that. Yeah, because we don't we sort of dance around all this sort of thing, don't we? And we shouldn't.
0: No, not at all. And and to him as a twenty five year old guy, and, and you see him in the documentary. He said, you know, he was just having the most the the most fantastic young adult life. He was a stuntman, so at the age of eighteen, he was given a check for sixty five thousand pounds, and he said it was just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm. I was just having an absolute blast. So yeah, watch it because it's not um, it's it's just a really it's just a really interesting first person experience told really well and without inviting you to he doesn't want your pity he doesn't Mm. really want your kind of vicarious curiosity he wants to tell you his story so yeah i'd
1: hardly recommend it and the documentary is called the boy who lived and it's on sky it is, or okay. now TV. Deborah Meaden is our guest tomorrow, and then later in the week, as we said, we are having email-only uh, podcasts here on Off Air. And actually, uh, thank you for people who have already written about Christmas. Uh, lack of celebrations in some cases, mild dread in others. Uh, we'll take all of those, because that's an, an obvious talking point for this week, isn't it?
0: Mm. How long do you think you could talk about Colombia for?
1: It, it's slightly tricky, um, because... <laughs> How, how much do you know I, well um they there's a marks and Spencers do their coffee I've seen it uh you know it's a country it's not Colombo Columbo no it's the fella in the i was <laughs> i didn't I, I'm sure he wasn't c d but that Mac just it was a horrible Mac and that's, that's why nice. I've never been to Colombia because of Colombo's Mac join us tomorrow for more insightful observations about geopolitics goodbye Bye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings. Otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at 3 o'clock Monday until Thursday every week and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine Genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects.
0: Thank you for bearing with us
1: and we hope you can join us again on Off
0: Air very soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy.
1: There's more to iPhone.